What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to another edition of Heavy Sports Presents the Matt Lombardo Show. Of course, I am Heavy Sports Senior NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. Great to be with you here a week closer to NFL free agency getting underway on Monday. The legal tampering period begins. But if you've listened to this show, if you follow me on Twitter, if you read me on heavy.com, you know that the offseason really began last week in Indianapolis. We're going to get into what we've heard, some of the moves that have already gone down around the NFL. And we're going to have a conversation with a guest who I think offers a really unique and really interesting perspective, former NFL Executive of the Year, former Minnesota Vikings General Manager Jeff Diamond, who obviously has been a GM in the NFL this time of year, but he now does some work with an agency so he's been on both sides of these negotiations between star players and teams looking to build out their rosters. And Tuesday afternoon was one of the more interesting, I'll say, days in recent NFL offseason history. We're going to get into all of that, what some of these moves mean, not only for these players and teams, but other players as well. I'm looking at the quarterback situation after the Daniel Jones contract, some of the big names that are coming up for extensions after that. So a lot to get into. But before we do, if you enjoy this podcast, please go ahead and check us out on heavy.com slash videos. That's the new home for the Matt Lombardo show, heavy.com slash videos. You'll find all of the full episodes there, some of the best hits and the great cuts and the great clips from these episodes over the last couple of weeks. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. Leave us those five-star reviews and let us know a guest or two that you'd like to have on. We'll go track him down and bring him onto the show. So as the offseason gets into full swing, this should be a lot of fun. And few people can offer the kind of perspective that our guest has on what this week is like, what this month is like, and everything that goes on inside the NFL during a frenetic offseason, which is just now getting off and running. He's former NFL Executive of the Year, former Minnesota Vikings General Manager. He's currently with the 33rd team. What an all-star team they're building over there, and they seem to be rotating through this show. He's Jeff Diamond. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Diamond NFL. Jeff, thanks for taking a few minutes with us today. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. And honestly, this is my favorite time of year. The buildup to free agency. You have all of the question marks about where guys are headed, how their markets are going to shape up, how teams are going to balance using free agency versus the draft. And you have a really unique perspective because you've been in the general manager's chair. I know you're working on the other side with a couple agencies or your own agency right now. But when you were in a front office, take us through what these couple of weeks are like from the shrimp cocktail in Indianapolis through the opening <laughs> days of free agency. What is this really like behind the scenes? Yeah, it's certainly a hectic time and a little bit nerve wracking, too, when you when you approach free agency, especially. And, and at the same time, you're preparing for the draft. There, there's a lot going on combine. And even at the combine, it's, it's a mixed bag because a lot of the conversation is is with agents and now working on the agent side with my firm IFA, I certainly understand that uh, as we're talking with teams about some of our clients. And and so it's, it's a very hectic time. I think honestly, Matt, I, I've always felt, especially with the draft, there's just a little bit of over analysis that goes on this time of year and also a lot of wasteful spending, shall we say. Uh, and that, that kind of bothered me back when I was a team general manager and a team president, especially in Tennessee, uh, when we would send oh, 30 some people to the combine, and then we send all the scouts out for the pro days that are, that are now starting out throughout March. 
And then, and then on top of that, you bring players into your facility for visits. There's just a lot of excess spending and excess time spent, I think, on the draft. I think teams are, once you get out of the combine, you're almost ready to go <laughs> with your draft yeah. board. And, and certainly pro days still have an impact. But I've always felt that the draft could easily be moved up to the end of March. And, and really, from my perspective, as a former GM, as a former team president, I would have preferred to have the draft before free agency because I always felt that the, that the draft was the lifeblood of the NFL. I'm going to be writing about that with 33rd team this week. I, I felt the, the draft should be the primary focal point in team building, and then you augment through free agency. And I think a lot of teams make mistakes and, and waste money in free agency and, and have disastrous results when they – sign free agents and they end up drafting somebody who's going to start ahead of the free agents. So it's kind of crazy. Is that a PA thing? Is that an NFL PA thing that they have it set up this way so that they protect the labor force and the veteran players that those guys are going to get paid and then the rookies are kind of on their own? Or is there some other reason why that hasn't changed? Because I'm with you. When you look at how the successful teams build their rosters, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles, for a long time, the Patriots. It's it's teams that draft well year after year after year after year, and they augment through free agency. Or maybe they have one year where they spend a whole bunch of money to get the kind of players that fit their scheme. Is there some other reason other than the NFLPA wanting it this way that, that free agency comes before the draft? Yeah, I don't know, and, and I'm not even sure that the union feels as strongly about it that way either because even still, the, the free agents are going to get signed, and even if you draft players, really, historically, you, some of those players will, will need development time, especially young quarterbacks, and so the veterans are still protected more or less, and I just think it, it makes more sense, as I said, from a team-building standpoint, but as they say, it is what it is, and you go with what, what what's there. But I think especially the draft could be moved up. And I think, and I, I know that there are other people around the league, and certainly Bill Belichick has always said that that he'd rather have the draft earlier and have more time with the rookies to get them acclimated, get them into the scheme and and learning the systems, learning the playbook, so that they could be even more effective in their rookie seasons. And and I agree with them now. There are some players that are in school, but there aren't as many players in school now as there used to be because there's so much emphasis on on pre-draft training. And so, so many right. players that are in college have kind of taken the semester off more or less to make sure that they're ready for the for their the combine, for their pro day. So it, it's just kind of a, a jumbled up system. At, at, that that's the way it's been and that's the way it's gonna probably continue. And let's drill down on one of the biggest storylines that I think is unfolding before our eyes, before the offseason really shifts into gear. <laughs> have you ever seen anything like what's happening with Lamar Jackson? Because you have the 2019 MVP sitting out there. You can have him for two first-round picks, and teams are lining up to say that they aren't interested, that they aren't looking to even have the conversation with Lamar. Have you, Jeff, have you ever seen anything like this? Uh, yeah, I don't recall seeing a premier player like Lamar Jackson in, in this type of situation, where, as you said, teams can put an offer sheet out uh, and the Ravens would have to match and, or give up or get first two first round picks in return. And I don't recall necessarily that ever happening 
in the history of free agency, as far as I remember, that anybody has ever gotten two first round picks. And so it's just kind of crazy. And then you have these teams already saying, no, we're not interested, not interested. And now I think part of the, the problem there, there are a couple of things that work. Certainly Lamar's demands for a fully guaranteed contract, a la Deshaun Watson, have sent shockwaves through the league. And, and the Watson contract in particular did and angered so many NFL people. I know that from just talking to, to friends around the league. From the Asian side, we were certainly happy with that. <laughs> it's it's right. fine with us. But but I think there's also something else at work here is the, the fact that Lamar Jackson has missed 11 games over the last two years, including the playoff loss to Cincinnati last year. And so I think teams are a little skittish about his injury history and the fact that his style of play as a, as a running quarterback, can he stay healthy when the last two years he hasn't been able to? And so I think that impacts it too. And I think it impacted the Ravens decision not to put the exclusive tag on him. Also the fact that they would have to commit instead of 32.4 million, they'd have to commit 45 million against the cap and which would, make it very difficult for them to sign free agents, especially receivers that they need to help him. So there's a lot of things at work here. And I know a lot of people scream collusion, <laughs> that the owners are are trying to prevent the fully guaranteed contract of the magnitude of, of Watson ever happening again. But I think How also- How much do you buy into that? Because you know, I don't know that we want to throw the word collusion around because that's a pretty heavy accusation, right? Yes. But but how badly did Cleveland just ruin things for quarterbacks like Lamar, like some of the younger quarterbacks who are coming up for new deals? Because you mentioned it, and my sense from talking to other agents and people inside the league is that owners do not want another fully guaranteed quarterback contract to happen anytime soon. They certainly don't want it to be the norm. And I'm curious your take on that and just how much of what's going on with Lamar Jackson, you can draw a thread line through what happened with Deshaun Watson and the Browns. And now the Ravens are basically saying, hey, you asked for $250 million guaranteed, go look. And he's looking around and everybody's looking back and saying, nope, not from us. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and as I said, I think a lot of it is the injury history, his style of play. And, and I'm not even saying necessarily collusion because I, I don't think that's at work here. I think it's more about just the fully guaranteed contract that, that teams don't want to give to a player that has an injury history. And right. so, or to any quarterback necessarily, or any player. And yeah, we know Kirk Cousins got it. We know Deshaun Watson got it. the Cousins deal was a shorter deal. It was three years, $84 million. And, and he was in a unique situation too, as a, as a prime free agent. And Watson took advantage of a no trade clause and he didn't want to go to Cleveland. He wanted to go to Atlanta or Miami. So that was the way he forced the issue with, with the Browns. I, I know that term outlier has been used a lot, but I think it is true in this case. And I think Omar, the disservice he's doing to himself is acting as his own agent. And I'm not just talking working on the agent side. I'm talking working on the management side, too, in the past. Sure. That I think it's just very difficult for a player to understand the nuances of the, of the collective bargaining agreement, of contracts, of everything that goes, goes on around the league. 
and there are so many quality agents out there that could be helping him. And hey, if he took 150 million guaranteed as Rogers did on a on a 200. 30 to 250 million dollar contract. That's still pretty good. I think he can get by on that. <laughs> For sure. And I'd heard last summer that that was an offer that was on the table somewhere in the area of 135 to 150 million guaranteed. And it is surprising that he didn't jump at that that offer, but it, again, a, a good agent would say, "Listen, you know, take the fully guaranteed money, take it on a four-year deal and we'll take another crack at this apple later on in your career." Uh, you know, obviously the Lamar Jackson deal didn't get done. They used the non-exclusive tag and and seemed to be of the mindset of we're going to let him negotiate and figure out what's out there for himself. But a deal that did get done was Daniel Jones getting $40 million per year from uh, the New York Giants. And obviously you look at that contract, not far down the pike, this offseason or next, Jalen Hurts is up for a new deal. Joe Burrow is up for a new deal. Justin Herbert is going to get paid. Jeff, what are those contracts going to look like for those quarterbacks who are far more accomplished already than what Daniel Jones is if Jones commanded $40 million per year, including $82 million over the first two? Yeah, I think that, that those guys are going to do very well, and deservedly so. They're, they're great players. I think that they're going to be certainly north of, of 45 and, and probably closing in on 50 where, where Aaron Rodgers has been <clears throat> and probably even exceeding that because we know the salary cap is going up every year as TV revenue is rising. And so why would those deals not be greater? It, it's always the latest is the greatest in contracts. And so, and you throw Justin Jefferson into the mix there too, in terms of a receiver yeah. who's going to benefit. And all those guys that you just mentioned can negotiate extensions this year and, Burrow, Herbert, Hertz, Jefferson. So there are going to be some big, big contracts coming very soon. And it also creates a situation for teams as they do their salary cap planning that they have to factor all this, all these contracts in. Now, the good news for them, when you do a long-term deal at the high levels of what Burrow and Herbert and Hertz are going to get, you can get a lower first year and second year cap number with a big signing bonus where, where the bonus prorates over the life of the contract. We know that. And so they don't get hurt until a few years further down the road. And then those contracts come home to roost as this happened with Patrick Mahomes, but Kansas city has overcome that pretty well. We know that. And so it, it's going to be very interesting this off season, but, but I think from the Giants standpoint, it was really critical for them to get Jones done. I'm sure they wanted him to come in around 35 a year. And, and they, so they probably feel like they overpaid a little bit. And Jones probably feels like, well, I could have got even better in the open market, perhaps. And he's got a bunch of incentives built in that could take the, the deal even to a higher level. So I think it's a good compromise for the Giants to get Daniel Jones signed. I'm, I'm a, I like Daniel Jones. I like the development that he's had under Brian Dable. Won a playoff game last year. The, the Giants were in the playoffs. Uh, I, I think that it was a smart move on their part, and then they're they're able to franchise Saquon Barkley out of the deal. So it, it's it's certainly what they were hoping to accomplish, and they did. So, so Jeff, obviously, you know, the quarterbacks we talked about, they're known commodities, right? And, and pardon the pun here, but this is the time of year where teams are looking for that diamond in the rough, right? So, so you know, the unheralded free agent who's going to cash in 
and become a big-time player for a team somewhere. When you look at this year's market, who are one or two under-the-radar free agents that you see that you think could get paid in the next couple of weeks and then live up to that deal as kind of that next star? Yeah, I think it's, it's hard to say because there's just so many so many good players in the league and, and, and obviously in the draft, too, that are, that are coming in. And, and you, look at, you, you look at a guy like Anthony Richardson, his, his, his workout at, at the Combine, and I, I've never been big on workout warriors necessarily at the Combine because I always told our scouts in, in the, and our coaches in the draft room, let, let's focus on how the guy played in college. And a guy like Richardson, his completion percentage is just over 50%, but that was what Josh Allen was in, in, in college too. Uh, yeah, in terms in terms of free agents, I mean there are a lot of good players in the league, and in particular at the quarterback position, you look at Geno Smith in in Seattle came out of kind of nowhere, and what what developed with him, I'm not sure that there's necessarily a Geno Smith out there, even though a Jameis Winston, if he could stay healthy and get into the right system, we know what kind of talent he has. And, and with the right coach, perhaps. So he may be a guy, perhaps, that could could elevate. I, I thought Marcus Mariota could down in Atlanta. It just didn't quite work out that way. And so there are a lot of good players. And at, at every position, a guy up here in Minnesota, I do a lot of work with the Vikings and with, with, um, with media work up here. And Eric Hendricks is a really good linebacker who just got set free by the Vikings to save $9.5 million. He can help somebody, especially a 4-3 defensive team. And and when the Vikings went to 3-4, that's when Kendrick's play kind of went down a little bit, but he's still a quality player. So there, there are a ton of good players. We know the Eagles have so many free agents on that team, guys like Bradbury and, and their linebacker core. Even TJ Edwards, safety Chauncey, Chauncey yeah. Johnson, Gardner Johnson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think Jason Kelsey's going anywhere. But, but the Eagles have a ton of great free agents, Brandon Graham. So there are some guys that, that are going to be intriguing to teams. And, and part of that ends up being, does the player want to stay? Does Howie Roseman in Philadelphia want to go down that path again and do a bunch of voidable contracts that he was able to keep that team together? Perhaps he will for one more year. We'll see. But I, I think some of those guys are, are certainly going to be on the move you can't it's hard to keep everybody <laughs> we know that for sure and you brought up eric hendricks and your former team the minnesota vikings who you're still in pretty close contact with you look at the defense they're starting to get a little older starting to get a little bit more expensive uh kirk cousins situation is really fascinating to me based on the contract based on uh what direction they might or might not be going in do you see them taking this offseason kind of as a retooling, rebuilding opportunity? Or are they going to pedal down and spend where they can and try to, you know, roll it back out and, and run the gang back one more time? Yeah, I think I think defensively there, there are going to be changes, and Kendricks was the first one. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they if they bring back Zadarius Smith, for example. Daniel Hunter is a guy, he's still relatively young, very productive. They'll want to keep him. But Smith – Zadarius Smith's first half of the season was one of the best defensive players in the league. Nine and a half sacks in the first, whatever, eight, nine games. In the last eight games, had a half a sack. And even in the playoff loss to the Giants, not, not, no pressures, no sacks. So he's a guy making over 10 million bucks, and that could be a, a, a cap casualty. 
there are other players. Harrison Smith's got a big number, but I think a lot of those guys are going to restructure and try to keep them. The one thing with the Vikings defense, they, they just needed more speed, and, and I think that's what they're thinking about <clears throat> with, with some young guys that they're going to get in the lineup. One of the things that hurt them last year, their, their top two picks both got hurt and were out for the year, um, and, and Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth Jr., so getting them back will help them. Cousins is, is an interesting situation. He, he really had his best year probably in the NFL last year with the Vikings, and he, he led eight come-from-behind victories right and, and 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 had a terrific season and then all of a sudden the last play against the Giants he does that check down to Hawkins and everybody here screaming check down Kirk is back get rid of him well not so fast Kevin O'Connell the the head coach he he and Cousins are very close very tied together and I think that we'll in the next week we're going to see probably maybe another two-year extension for Cousins here which would Again, bring bring him up a little bit salary wise, but also get his cap number down. That's thirty six million right now. But the Vikings have some other tough decisions. Dalvin Cook is going to be a really interesting call here. He's a guy that's making over ten million a year running backs. And you look at around the league running backs, how they've been devalued. The two Super Bowl teams, one of them, Kansas City started a seventh round pick in Pacheco. The Eagles had no running backs making over one point seven million. And that was Miles Sanders, and he's a free agent. I don't think he'll be back because Gainwell was the right. guy who played even more than than Sanders at the end of the season. So, so Dalvin Cook could easily be a cap casualty here too. So, th- there's a lot of breaking news here on the the Kirk Cousins extension. I love it. The, the idea of a Cousins extension in the offing. I love it. That's great yeah, stuff. And, and, I, and I'm sure Kirk was happy to see Daniel Jones get forty million a year. By the way, right. <laughs> Yeah, oh, no doubt about it. It's good for him, and it's good for all those young guys that we talked about. And yeah. within that division, it's going to look a little bit different. Obviously, the Bears, with all that cap space, they kind of I, I think they control the entire offseason. I'm going to touch on that a little bit more later on in the podcast. But Aaron Rodgers is uncertainty. You know, you, you've been there. You've been around the league. If I twist Jeff Diamond's arm, where's Aaron Rodgers throwing passes next year? Well, I, I think that he's not going to be in green Bay. I think that, 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 I think the Packers are ready to move on. It's very clear in kind of the tones of the GM, Brian Gutekunst that, that Jordan love needs to play. And I think they've had enough of, of the Aaron Rodgers drama in green Bay. And if they can get a couple of high draft picks, maybe a, a, a second and thir- second and fourth this year and a first next year or something, they're not going to get what, what uh, the Lions got for Stafford. They're not going to get what, what the uh, Seahawks got for Russell Wilson. Those guys were six years younger than Aaron Rodgers, but he's still certainly worthy of a couple high picks. And it, it, it sounds like he's headed to the Jets, but it, if the Raiders step back into the, into the mix on this, or there could be another team, we'll see. But it, it certainly seems... Any guess on the other team? Because I've heard the Raiders too, but I just don't know that they're going to have the capital, the working capital, the money to yes. get involved there. Is, is there another team other than the Packers, Jets, or Raiders that you think could jump in here? I don't really see anybody else at this point, but yeah. you never know <laughs> that, that all of a sudden the Patriots say, hey, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go with Aaron Rodgers for a year or two. Atlanta, 
Washington Atlanta would be would be fascinating. Washington would be interesting with all that young talent there. Jahan yeah. Dotson, Terry McLaurin, Brian yeah. Robinson Jr. I mean, you look at the the talent on that team. They're a quarterback away. They might not. I mean, you're dealing with getting through the Eagles twice a year, right? But but yeah. if you drop Aaron Rodgers into that division, man, wouldn't that be interesting with with Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, and some guy named Aaron Rodgers in Washington? That would that would jumpstart things just a little bit, I would think. Yeah, it definitely would. And but and and you, and you wonder about Rodgers in terms of of if he wants to necessarily be in the division against Buffalo, perhaps. Right. We'll see. New England, uh, certainly some some quality teams in the AFC East, Miami. But I, a lot I of just, cold. It's a lot of cold after coming from the tundra, going yeah, going to exactly. Buffalo, schlepping up to New England, maybe in December. Yeah, a right. lot of cold weather. East yeah, Rutherford. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I think one one thing for sure. I, I never bought that he was considering retirement. First of all, he's not he's not going to pass up the fifty nine million dollar option bonus he's got. Second of all. Right. He doesn't want to be in the same Hall of Fame class as Tom Brady in five years. Yeah. So a couple of different things that work there. Aaron Rodgers was never going to retire at this point. All the peyote in the world wouldn't buy uh, the satisfaction of you know, going in a different quarterback class in the Hall of Fame than Tom Brady. It's been a lot of fun, Jeff. Really enjoyed the conversation, the perspective, and the insight. Last one before we let you go here. When you look at the landscape of the entire NFL and the teams with the most cap space at the top of the board, teams like the Bears, the Giants are a little bit lower there, but teams with a lot of money to spend, who's most likely, in your opinion, to make a big splash over the next couple of weeks? So you, we're going to look up and say, wow. You know, you hate to crown off-season champions, but that team really got after it. Who do you think that those teams are going to be that we're going to look back on and say made some big moves? Yeah, I think you have to start with the Bears. And first of all, holding the first round, first pick in the draft, and they're going to stick with Justin Fields, which I think rightfully so. And and there are teams that, that are very excited about guys like Bryce Young and Stroud and, and Levis so, and Richardson. So there, there, there's a great market for the Bears to capitalize and get several excellent draft picks this year and in the next couple of years, plus that $100 million of cap room so they can get some, oh, more, rece- get some more receiving help for, for Fields, try to sign guys like Lazard perhaps or, or make a trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Who knows what's going to happen? But I think the Bears are, just, are in the catbird seat, and, and they're the team that's going to have the chance to, to make the most noise in the offseason and really beef up that roster in a division that I think they could make a move very quickly. And uh, the Lions are improved. The Vikings are the defending champs. The Packers are, are still there, but they're probably going to have a new quarterback. So it's going to be a, a certainly an opportunity for Chicago in particular to make a move quickly with all this extra draft capital that they, that they can accumulate and with free agent signs they can do. I'm with you. I think they controlled the entire offseason. I'm going to get, break that down a little bit later. Uh, Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. I know people can find you on Twitter at Jeff Diamond NFL, but where else can they find you? Because you've got quite the media portfolio on top of everything else that you have going on. Where can people get more Jeff Diamond? Yeah, so at, at the 33rdteam.com, uh, I, I, I do one or two uh, articles a week for, for the 33rd team. I've written recently about coaches on the hot seat already around the league and and so also writing, as we say, I'll be evaluating free agency, grading the, the free agent signings for teams next week, which will be a fun pro- project to work on. And, 
and uh, I also do a, a weekly podcast on, on the Talk North Network up here in the Twin Cities, focusing on the Vikings and the NFL. And, and so a lot of different projects I'm involved with, but, but also work with my agent group and do a lot of college speaking, uh, talking about negotiation, sports business. So anybody can get me, as you said, direct message me at Twitter at Jeff Diamond NFL. And it's been a pleasure to be with you, Matt, always. And give me a holler anytime. It's been a lot of fun. As he said, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Diamond NFL. He's the former GM of the Minnesota Vikings, former executive of the year in the NFL. Jeff, appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you further up the road, my friend. Great. Thank you, Matt. Take care. All the best. Really interesting and fascinating stuff there from Jeff Diamond. He always brings some really unique insight. I enjoy the conversations both on the air and off on the side with Jeff. So appreciate you taking the time. And of course, go ahead and follow him at Jeff Diamond NFL. And one of the biggest storylines in the league right now that we touched on during that conversation is something just doesn't add up when it comes to Lamar Jackson. Because when you look at his situation, when you look at the fact that the Baltimore Ravens use the non-exclusive franchise tag rather than the exclusive tag on Lamar, they basically said to the rest of the league, you negotiate with Lamar Jackson. You show him what he's worth. And chances are, unless there's some sort of poison pill in the deal, they're going to match. The Ravens seem intent on matching that deal for whatever it would be, because if they let him walk, they'd receive two first-round picks. But that pales in comparison to the deal that the Denver Broncos got for Russell Wilson. That pairs in comparison to the deal that the Green Bay Packers are going to get if they trade Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. So the Ravens here, to me, in my opinion, just looking at this as an observer, they're letting the NFL do their bidding. They're letting the other 31 teams determine the value for Lamar Jackson and seem to have washed their hands and had enough of the full, fully guaranteed contract demands from Lamar Jackson that we've heard over the last 12 to 18 months that he's looking for a deal that echoes and mirrors the Deshaun Watson contract with the Cleveland Browns. But you talk to people inside the league and you heard it from Jeff Diamond. There's real pushback from the other owners in this league at Jimmy Haslam, at the Browns, to make sure that that type of contract never happens again. But what I don't think is adding up and what I think is really interesting and what I think might not be the best look for the rest of the NFL is that Lamar Jackson got tagged with the non-exclusive tag by the Baltimore Ravens sometime around like 3.05 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon. And by 3.16, you had reports that the Atlanta Falcons, who I know for a fact were in conversations with the Ravens about a potential trade for Lamar Jackson, who are interested, the Falcons have been interested in Lamar, They've kicked the tires. They've looked around. They've explored the option. But at 316 on Tuesday, you had reports surfacing that the Atlanta Falcons are not going to be exploring trading for or signing Lamar Jackson to an offer sheet. Moments later, you had reports emerging that the Washington Commanders are not going to be showing interest. The Las Vegas Raiders are not going to be showing interest. The Miami Dolphins can't show interest until after the draft because they don't have a first-round pick this year. But you had team after team after team coming out very publicly with a bullhorn in the case of the Atlanta Falcons on their official website saying that they are not interested in Lamar Jackson after spending much of last offseason kicking the tires on and flirting with Deshaun Watson despite 20 plus 
allegations of sexual misconduct and abuse, they were in on Deshaun Watson. And I was told in Indianapolis that those talks progressed, quote unquote, tremendously with the Ravens about potentially acquiring Lamar. But they couldn't shout from a mountaintop high enough that they aren't. Other teams are saying very publicly that they aren't in on Lamar. Have we ever seen anything like this? Something's not adding up here. And I certainly understand owners not wanting to commit 200 to $250 million fully guaranteed. I understand that not every owner, I'm looking at you, Mark Davis, and the Raiders have the working capital to commit 200 to $250 million fully guaranteed to Lamar Jackson. Because if you want to get into the minutiae here, that 200 to $250 million needs to go into an escrow account to pay the contract. But Arthur Blank certainly does, right? There are teams around the league that have the ability to sign Lamar Jackson to that long-term fully guaranteed deal. And they're very publicly choosing not to. And what I think is happening here is it's a pushback against teams dealing with players who don't have agents, don't have any sort of representation. And I think that there is a deeply rooted commitment. I won't even use the other C word, collusion. But I think there's a deeply individualistic collective blowback and determination not to have that Deshaun Watson deal become the norm, not to have quarterbacks cashing in on $200 million deals, $250 million deals, $300 million deals fully guaranteed in the way that Deshaun Watson and Kirk Cousins have been able to garner in recent years. There might not have been a group text. There might not have been an email chain. There might not have been conversations formally or informally around the league among the owners. But there's probably that working knowledge that, hey, not again, not on my watch, not with my team. So now Lamar Jackson gets to try to negotiate with other teams and he'll either play on the tag at $32.5 million or he'll look around and see that teams aren't going to offer him that type of deal and then eventually go back to the table with the Ravens. But the Ravens still have all the leverage here. They tagged him once. They can tag him again next year. And at that time, it becomes the onus falling on Lamar Jackson to prove that he can stay healthy and that he can be far more effective than he has been late in seasons and in the postseason. Because if he does, who's to say in an increased cap era, the Ravens don't offer him $300 million? Who's to say that at that point, they don't back up a Brinks truck, guaranteed money or not, to Lamar Jackson to make him the face of the franchise? But if he doesn't, and if he continues to suffer injuries, and if he continues to not be effective down the stretch, then the Ravens could be in prime position to have drafted a quarterback sometime over these next two drafts to replace Lamar Jackson. But Lamar wasn't the only quarterback news in town at the start of the offseason. The New York Giants got the deal done with, with Daniel Jones just under the deadline, just before the finish line, just before 4 p.m., Joe Shane worked his magic. He got Daniel Jones done on a four-year deal worth $40 million per season, which then allowed the Giants to use the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley, which if you followed me on Twitter or you've checked me out on heavy.com in recent weeks, you knew that that was the plan all along, that that was the goal. Take care of Daniel Jones first, prioritize Daniel Jones because they believe he can be a franchise quarterback and get Barkley back on the tag for at least one more year and keep the window open until July to extend Saquon Barkley on a long-term contract, which I think is still an option for the Giants. 
But when you look at the Daniel Jones contract in a vacuum and you put that on a shelf by itself, that $40 million per season, that was a, a really important benchmark to Daniel Jones. We know that he asked for $45 million. We heard that last week. It was reported elsewhere. I was able to confirm it. There were reports that came out on Tuesday evening that Jones's cap number is only $19 million in year one of this deal, which is huge. That's a huge win for the Giants. Daniel Jones got what he was looking for with a contract that starts with a number four in the APY. The Giants get their QB that they are at least for the next two years at $82 million over the first two years of this deal that they get to build around and evaluate to see if he's their answer for another contract, a third contract down the line. Both sides won here. And with the cap number only $19 million for Daniel Jones in 2023, the Giants get huge flexibility because they can still figure out Dexter Lawrence's deal. They can still try to get something done if they so choose with Leonard Williams. And I've been told pretty consistently over the last two weeks that the Giants are shopping at the top of the linebacker market in free agency. I really believe Levante David is a name to watch for the New York Giants. And this Daniel Jones deal allows them the flexibility now to go out and talk to the top linebackers who are available in free agency, fill a need in Wink Martindale's defense in a way that they wouldn't have been able to if Jones had been tagged at $32 million per year. But make no mistake about it. The onus is now on Daniel Jones because he hasn't passed for more than 20 touchdowns since he threw for 24 as a rookie back in 2019. Last year, his five interceptions were a career low, and that's fine. But the Giants didn't really ask him to do a whole lot in terms of carrying that offense. And a lot of that, I'll, I'll admit, and I think the Giants, if they're honest, they would tell you this as well, that a lot of Daniel Jones's limited numbers comes down to the fact that he had a really limited supporting cast. Isaiah Hodgins is a nice player. You might even call him a revelation coming off of the Buffalo Bills practice squad. Ricky James stepped up, had a nice year, was flashy. But let's be real. The Giants didn't field an NFL wide receiving core last season. They didn't have true high NFL caliber wide receivers around Daniel Jones. Now, with a lower cap number, with Barkley on the tag and maybe lowering that number further on a three-year extension, because I had been told a couple of places by a couple of people that the framework, if Barkley would sign it, is a three-year deal worth around 10 to $12 million. So if they get that cap number to come down just a little bit in 2023, you can go shopping for a Jacoby Myers. You can go and bring in a wide receiver who creates space that will thrive in Mike Kafka and Brian Dable's scheme. And I keep hearing whispers that if Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers makes it to pick number 26, he's not making it past pick number 26 in the New York Giants. Regardless, though, with Jones back, with Saquon Barkley back, the Giants are signaling not only that they believe Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback, they're signaling that Daniel Jones is the quarterback that can win them a Super Bowl. That's why you make this kind of deal. That's why you sign him to this type of contract. But now the pressure is on Daniel Jones to take an immediate and monumental leap forward in his fifth year. And it's on Joe Shane to a degree too. They checked a big box by getting Daniel Jones back on a relatively team-friendly contract that also satisfied the player. But now it's now on the GM 
and the head coach and the front office to facilitate Daniel Jones taking that leap by giving Daniel Jones actual NFL caliber weapons. That means improving the offensive line and getting real NFL caliber wide receivers. But there's also the matter of what Daniel Jones's contract means for some of the other young quarterbacks who are up for deals around the NFL. You're talking about Jalen Hurts, who just had an MVP caliber season, who is up for an extension this offseason. You're talking about Joe Burrow, who, if he's not the best quarterback in the league alongside Patrick Mahomes, he's 1A or 1B. Justin Herbert, one of the bright young stars at the position in the entire sport. These are all guys with significantly stronger resumes in significantly better situations, with significantly better supporting casts, with significantly higher ceilings than Daniel Jones and the Giants currently have. And Daniel Jones just got $40 million from the New York Giants. Look, the Bengals are in a really interesting spot because they have a great young core with T. Higgins, with Tyler Boyd at wide receiver, and oh yeah, some guy who's an all-pro in Jamar Chase. They have a great running back duo in the backfield, pretty decent offensive line that I think they're going to go and upgrade again this offseason. If they release Lael Collins, they could go and get an Orlando Brown potentially to fill that hole at left tackle and get even better in front of Joe Burrow. But when you look at Jalen Hurts, who just went to a Super Bowl with an MVP caliber season, and I'll say it outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl. When you look at Justin Herbert, new offensive coordinator, and Kellen Moore, who really fits what he does really well with some dynamic receivers out there in an AFC West where the Broncos are going to be better with Sean Payton. The Chiefs are going to be a problem as long as Patrick Mahomes is there. The Chargers are going to need to pay Justin Herbert and pay him handsomely and then keep building around him. But when you look at Daniel Jones's contract at that $40 million APY, that's going to have a ripple-down effect on all of these other young quarterbacks when they come up for new deals this offseason. Those guys might make 50 or $55 million per year because the cap is going up and their ceilings are so damn high. So that's going to be really interesting to watch, at least for me, this offseason. And what's also going to be interesting is when you take the big 30,000-foot view of the entire offseason, there's one team in the NFL that I don't think just controls the NFL draft, but they control everything else. And that's the Chicago Bears. Every year we see a team that goes from worst to first, or in the case of the New York Giants, worst to NFL playoffs. And I think the Bears are in that catbird seat, as Jeff Diamond put it in our conversation a little bit earlier. I think the Bears, with $118 million in cap space, the number one overall pick in the draft, they control everything. When you look at some of the top players in free agency, at their biggest positions of need at wide receiver around Justin Fields, who I think took a big step forward in 2022 and could take an even bigger one in 2023 if you get him some wide receiver help the same way that the Giants need to get Daniel Jones some receiver help. When you look at their lack of a pass rush with Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State, leading them in sacks as a rookie, as a safety. When you look at the edge rusher market, guys like Frank Clark, guys like Arden Key, Guys like, you know, again, Levante David at linebacker can get after the quarterback a little bit. When you look at the top edge rushers on the market, the top offensive tackles on the market, the top wide receivers on the market, I wouldn't be shocked if you see the Bears and GM Ryan Poles pull a Jacksonville Jaguars of a year ago and just throw all of the money at the best wide receivers, 
and the best edge rushers in the same way the Jaguars paid Christian Kirk the way that they paid some top offensive tackles last year. I think the Bears follow that blueprint and they invest in the trenches at wide receiver and at edge rusher. I think they fill their needs and with the opportunity in the NFC North with the Vikings kind of teetering on the brink of staying relevant and going into a full-fledged rebuild, when you look at the Detroit Lions, who I think could be another team on the cusp of taking a big leap forward, and the Packers, who might be turning the reins over to Jordan Love and some young pieces, the Bears might be best positioned and best situated this offseason to break through and make a run this year. They have the assets, they have the quarterback, and they have a bright general manager. We talked about it coming out of Mobile when I reported coming out of the Senior Bowl that the feeling was that the Bears could try to trade back not once but twice. Maybe you go to number two and then back again to number four. Peter King wrote about this scenario from his conversation with Ryan Poles in his Football Morning in America column this Monday that that could be a possibility. And you think about that, $118 million to spend. Let's say you move back twice this year in this draft. You could pick up two first-round picks next year. You could pick up two-plus second, third, fourth-round picks this year. That's how you build a roster. That's how you build a sustainable contender when you have a franchise quarterback in place. And I think the Bears are going to be able to do that. And then there's the matter of Aaron Rodgers, the thorn in their side for a decade longer in the NFC North. I'll say this about the New York Jets. You do not book a chartered flight with GM Joe Douglas, head coach Robert Sala, and new offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, who you just hired Hackett with the intent of going all in on Aaron Rodgers and flying to California to meet with Aaron Rodgers to have a couple of six-backs and come back home. No, 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 no. They were going out to seal that deal. They were flying out to sign Aaron Rodgers or at least come to terms on a contract with Aaron Rodgers that they can go back to the Packers and work out a trade. They missed out on Derek Carr because Aaron Rodgers was the big fish that they were eyeing all along. And that's a gamble that they took. It's a risk that they took. But they're one of the few teams that have the draft capital, the dra the cap space, the resources, and the supporting cast in the coaching staff to be well enough positioned to pry Aaron Rodgers away from the Packers. And Jeff Diamond said it. I got the feeling in Indy the same way that Brian Gutekunst and the Packers are over Aaron Rodgers. They're over the drama. They're ready to move on. They're ready for something new. They're ready for Jordan Love. Leroy Butler said so much on the podcast last week, if you go back and listen to that episode, where he thinks Jordan Love is ready to go, that the Packers think that Jordan Love is ready to go. The Packers are ready to see what Jordan Love can do. And Aaron Rodgers is ready for something new. I think he winds up in New York. I think he winds up there quickly. That's our show. Been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed the conversation with Jeff Diamond. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Diamond NFL. If you enjoy the podcast, please check us out at heavy.com slash videos. You get the full episodes there, the insight from the guests there, my top analysis there. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Read me at heavy.com. Thanks as always to Thomas Darrow. Does a tremendous job behind the glass as always producing this show. He is absolutely instrumental in getting the podcast up and running every week it's been a lot of fun really enjoyed the conversation gets real next week free agency coming down the pike we'll be back next week same time same place on the matt lombardo show presented by heavy sports i'm matt lombardo i'll talk to you next week